You can't you can't become a rock star at 40. You can be a rock star at 40, but you can't become a rock star at 40. Hey, welcome to another episode of Discovering Darwin, a podcast dedicated to the writings and musings of Charles Darwin. My name is James Wagner. I'm your host, and I am joined this season by my two esteemed well-rested colleagues, well-rested in the fact that the semester has ended and they are starting to actually get rested. Uh, Sarah Bray, Dr. Sarah Bray, professor of biology and associate dean of Transylvania University. Hello, Sarah. Hey, hey. <laughs> you can feel the excitement in her voice. And Mark Jackson, associate hey, professor James. of uh, psychology. Did, yes. Hey. And, to be clear, I, I'm on the precipice of rest. It hasn't happened yet, hasn't, but I'm thinking tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, I, I, did you? You got your grades turned in, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, and Sarah, you you are the the keeper of the grades, right? Is that <laughs> the keeper of no, the? No, like I'm the muscle behind the keeper of the grades. Oh, that's right. So yeah, when when faculty don't turn their stuff in, then I show up at their doorstep with a baseball bat. <laughs> So, oh, wait a second. Does it start with a baseball bat or does it start with a horse's head? I mean, what? what? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we, are, we finished our um, second module in this COVID year of trying to be an academic remotely. Um, I'm hoping, you know, I, I hope eternal that next year when things maybe get more normal, the kids will appreciate us so much so that they'll show up Every day in class, just so happy to be there. Um, boy, a boy can dream. Boy can, <laughs> yes. You yes, are the eternal optimist. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I was looking at the blog, uh, blog post. Um, you know, um, I have it set, such that people can comment, and, but it doesn't automatically go on to the blog post until it gets moderated. And we, in fact, have two comments awaiting moderation. Yeah, here's the first one. Uh, this was after our episode on sorrow and regret. Uh, this begin. This starts off in all caps. Oh boy! <laughs> so, oh, no. here, we go. <laughs> here we go. This is my testimony how I got my partner back with genuine love spell <laughs> after he broke up with our marriage. That was the oh, caps. Well, this now, can be useful now in regular. Uh, <laughs> format. I felt a deep sadness when he left me to live with another woman, and I did all I could to talk him out. I told him how much I love him, and the kids need him too. I was so broken until I got help from a friend on a blog who posted how Dr. a love magician and spellcaster, helped her bring her spouse back after six years of divorce. I contacted him on his email, and then he told me to call him on his WhatsApp, and I called him on a video call, and he was truly genuine and trustworthy. And he did a love spell on me. Barely 48 hours, my husband called me to say he's sorry, and he came back home. 100% trust Dr. If you need help to bring back your ex or you want your relationship to be peaceful and to stop a heartbreak, break up, and also to stop your partner from cheating on you, contact him. I'm sharing this because I want a lot of people out there to get help too. This is not spam. Back to caps. This is not spam. My name is, and I live in Texas, United States. 
This is genuine testimony that shaped my life and my home, and I'm so confident to recommend. So there you well, go. That's, that's sweet. Yeah. Which is intriguing <laughs> is then the same day, the <clears throat> person that she references to supply that love spell, they themselves post on our blog spot too. The story. Basically advertising their love spell powers. Oh. So I don't think I'm going to accept that post. Aww, really? I know. Yeah, because it's free advertising to them. That's what they, everybody does. They, they, they log on to our blog post because they think that we're some we're big. epic. We're so Yeah, we're big. big. <laughs> and that if they tag on to us like a remora on a whale shark, they will get oh. all of that free, free publicity. But think about how many marriages would be saved, James. Well, that's true. If you were to allow this to go through. I mean, the, st the stability introduced to our society. <laughs> it's are, you, are you really suggesting? It no. is immeasurable. No. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we've got. Um, but other than that, dear listener, we do enjoy uh, hearing from you all. So if you uh, care to give us some feedback, we would love it. Uh, please visit us at Discovering Darwin. That's one word. Discovering Darwin at blogspot.com, where you can find additional information about the, the, pod, uh, the podcast, and um, you can download the podcast there or listen to it. So there, that was my um, effort to... And then we have social media, right, Sarah? we got a Facebook page. Yes, we do, and we've got a Twitter twatter. We have a Twitter twatter. Yeah. Well, there you go. Kids, we don't have an Instagram because uh, Mark does not want to be any more influential. He's got to <laughs> <laughs> regulate his influence of the world. Um, so. Just wait for his hot TikTok, though. <laughs> uh, he's going to do a plank. <laughs> <laughs> I totally skipped Snapchat. I don't know what the yeah. kids. I ask them if they still Snapchat. And they're like, what? Yeah. Okay. It's wow. a thing. It's a thing. All right. So, I, I, dear listener, if, if, you, uh, if you are a uh, regular listener, you know that we've, with the addition of, of Mark Jackson, we've all made an effort to be more regular. I met a useful regular in our development of the podcast and posting of the podcast. But we had missed last month. Totally missed it. Uh, we had technical difficulties. Uh, we had um, some nice audio feedback, 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 where we got to repeat it. We got to be repeated. We got to be repeated. And we thought, well, 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 should we give you a third more of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> through Echoes? Uh, and so we decided not to. And so we had to um, throw that one away and... Sarah had came up with a great idea. Why don't we combine la that chapter, chapter nine, which uh, to remind you, dear listener, was the title was Reflection, Meditation, Ill Temper, Sulkiness, and Determination, right? That chapter with the next chapter, chapter 10, Hatred and Anger. <laughs> so I think it's funny that just Hatred and Anger. And so that's what we're doing today. You're getting a twofer, two chapters in one Double podcast. Double pleasure. Double the <laughs> Yes. Yes. I don't. Yes. Double the Sulkiness pun. and anger. I don't know if oh. I can handle it. <laughs> oh, it's. It's like oh. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so, dear listener, you, uh, I know you're like, wait, I did not read chapter 10. Do not worry. We will fill you in and all the hatred, anger, and um, sneering that you can possibly handle in one one podcast. All right. Um, so, having said that, 
I think it might be worthwhile to start in 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 the bigger picture here. So Darwin has two of these um, emotions. Well, actually, there's a lot of emotions in chapter nine listed. And Mark, do you, do you, uh, do you I know we've been trying to clarify between emotions and states. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to maybe sort of orient us here on these two chapters? What, what's your professional opinion on what's an emotion and what's a state here? Sure. Well, <clears throat> as I read it, he is largely talking about emotions and, of course, specifically emotional expression. Uh, but in but he makes allusions to uh, perhaps, as Ekman points out, and I certainly would agree that not everything that he's talking about actually is an emotion, at least in the titles. Like in that second chapter, he doesn't really talk about hate very much. He does talk about anger for sure. But when he brings it up, um, when we think of emotions, these are they tend to be very fleeting experiences. It's, you know, a momentary affect and, you know, that's certainly accompanied by an expression and a physiological change, you know, typically heightened arousal and, or something like that. But, uh, and that would be things again, like, you know, anger, frustration, perhaps determination. I don't know. You know, again, it gets a little tricky there, but um, if we deviate from the six basic ones, but, but things like, uh, you know, and uh, we talked about before love, or hate. These are a little more, not necessarily complicated, but they're, they're more durable. They could perhaps better be described as um, like orientations or attitudes uh, towards someone or something that, you know, is accompanied by perhaps frequent emotional experiences, but that, it, but in and of itself, hate, right, is not really an emotion. Because um, hate, again, is this constant right <laughs> lately it has uh, been yes <laughs> yeah and and uh and yes and perhaps you know one of the more frequent em- emotional experiences when we are around someone that we hate or or something that makes that particular orientation salient is anger or disgust or something like that but it doesn't rule out others right think about love right we can uh we certainly experience joy oftentimes around the people that we love but we also experience anger <laughs> around the people that we love <laughs> Uh, too, perhaps even just as frequently, but but so the the emotions, not the orientation. I, I was thinking on on chapter nine, the reflection, med, meditation, ill temper, sulkiness, determination. The the expression that he focuses a lot on is the frown, right? Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me, he does a nice job showing us that we frown under lots of different contexts. That 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 expression itself, though pretty recognizable, you know, your, your, uh, you knit your brow, your eyebrows get kind of knitted together, your eyes get kind of squinted, and your face, mouth kind of has an underturned corners. Um, that is a very distinctive expression, but what triggers that expression is quite varied, right? Different sources, uh, frustration and such. We'll come back to that idea. But it seems to me that in the anger chapter, the hatred-anger chapter, there's a one-to-one correspondence. So it's not like a lot of different things that cause you to have that expression of anger, which I guess the you know, eyebrows get sort of tilted and you get that sort of either a, a straight mouth, lip, parallel lip, pursed lips, or you get um, actually bared teeth kind of expression. He calls it a grin, right? Yeah. He uses yeah. the term grin for teeth bearing. Yeah. So, but that seems to be a, like a, I don't know, what do you think, Sarah? One-to-one correspondence there, whereas in yeah, the... And, yeah, in 10, it just seems to be a matter of degree, right? Because it's going from rage to anger to... Well, I don't remember. He had another... 
oh, and, sneering and defiance. Um, and so it just seems to be more a continuum of intensity of the emotion rather than expressing a different type of emotion. Yeah. And the frown part seems to me that it goes back to that sort of context of your mental state and how that triggers that expression. And, and the mental state can be quite varied. Like your, where did I put my, my car keys? Um, how do I untangle this stupid earbud wire? You know, you're sitting there frowning as you're trying to figure out how, how they got so knotted. Um, you know, you open the freezer to get some ice cream and your significant other has left a tablespoon left in the container. <laughs> and you open it up and you're like... <laughs> and all those different kind of uh, uh, mental, you know, disappointment, I guess, triggers that frown, both as you concentrate and try to remember something or whatever. Uh, whereas the anger is just triggered by one kind of condition that you're mad, I guess. You're frustrated at something, person or, I guess, objects. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think I read a paper that neither of you did, and it's um, Lynch et al. from 2016. And I thought it was interesting because they compare and contrast sadness and anger and then what do they do for us mm -hmm. um but i thought it was interesting the way they defined them and that they're really similar which is um they're both uh, sadness and anger happen after a blockage of a goal like impediment for your goal and sadness happens oh. when your goal has been lost without the possibility of restoration giving one's own abilities whereas anger the goal has also been lost but um, attainment is still possible with the removal of an obstacle, right? So anger, right, is elicited because then you can do something about it and get to that goal, whereas sadness is when that goal is no longer attainable on your own. Right. Ooh. And <clears throat> anger promotes perseverance and sadness promotes giving up. Huh. But in neither one of those um, trigger sort of contagion in others, Right. We talked about contagion and smiling, like you smile and somebody will smile in return. But neither one of those, like if you frown at somebody, they're not likely to frown back at you generally, are they? Or well, if you yeah. show ex anger expression, I guess that might trigger. I think, yeah. If, yeah, if, if someone directs anger at you, the research suggests that we, that's one of the instigators for us to get angry as back. well. Oh, we so there is contagion anger. and anger. Well, is it contagion or a response, right? It's in that mm. case, it's more of a trigger. You're not when I think of contagion, you know, like the them. contagion of laughter. Yeah, it's yeah. A, an empathic kind of thing. I'm sharing your feeling mm -hmm. versus you're hostile towards me. Well, I'm hostile back. Them up. Let's yeah. let's have a go, <laughs> or turn your eyes down and mm -hmm. look away and try to. Right. Sarah, that's a really interesting uh, differentiation between anger and um, frustration. Because I was thinking on the, on the walk in tonight to the office to record this podcast, asking myself, what triggers, like, what, what triggers anger, right? So I think about, I have a son who I've never seen, and he's 20 years old. I've, he's never yelled or expressed any anger. The most he's ever expressed in terms of anger, ever, was he basically said to me, will you please leave the room right now? That was it. Just like Max, my son is just, and so I started thinking about what triggers anger in me because I'm definitely not that cool-headed, and I, I realized that the most common source of anger for me is frustration as I look for things. Like, where is this? I go down the basement to get a tool, and I go look 
where I think it is, and of course it's not there. And I get really angry. I get really mad looking for things. That's my biggest. Well, and the irony of that, that makes sense. That's adaptive because you can solve that problem. Well, that's the you funny can thing. Persevere, and we'll find it. Yes. Yes. But I also find it very funny because the source of that anger is myself, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why is the tool <laughs> there? Yeah, I did not put it back. Um, see, I was actually thinking, because I guess I don't see you when you're having your personal anger moments, but I was thinking of times when I have been with you interacting with other in- individuals at work. Mm-hmm. And um, in particular, I'm thinking of someone else who lives in the white building and <laughs> you get very angry with. And um, and in that sense it is it's some it's someone standing in the way of the thing that you think you need done or what and you're, and as darwin says when you're really angry like that that's one thing i get really frustrated with is my voice gets i don't have Clenched. control of my voice the, yeah. the throat cl- clenches up and i find myself not being able to express myself but this generally was, I, go ahead well it was making me think about when we were talking about um gosh i, I don't think we were chopped maybe it was the sadness chapter when we were talking the sulky chapter but i was saying how sometimes i feel like my emotional wires get crossed when i'm angry and i start to cry Mm. and uh, you know but it is this i don't know i think it's maybe it's this as i was reading this it's this overwhelming thing that happens with anger right because your blood pressure goes up your respiration goes up your cardiovascular system goes up and so it's just all like everything is just like becoming so heightened Uh, actually the Sarah, there, I read a paper that was a um, gender and anger uh, review paper by Anne Kring. It's a chapter from a book, and she says exactly what you just said. Uh, men, when they get angry, often express that through breaking of things or throwing objects or punching, and women often exhibit that anger through crying. Well, there. I feel justified. There you go. <laughs> Even though it's incredibly frustrated. <laughs> That's what you get age. for not having a Y chromosome. Oh, you could be breaking yeah. plates. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, like, it, it sets up a weird thing, right? Because then if it's in a professional situation, you definitely, as a woman, don't want to cry. And yet oh, yeah. you do. And then, like, there's men around you that are like, oh, she's weak and just it's so emotional. She can't handle herself. Kind of thing, you should so. take uh, number two pencils with you. And just squeeze on them until they snap. Yeah. (laughs) Break them. They have that great sound. You can get a box of them for cheap, and they just always have them with you. And they'll be like, oh, she's pissed. Like, Uh, Mark, so, what, tur- turning us back to the sources of anger, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, those uh, personal frustrations, uh, you know, the things like you can't find the thing that you're looking for to other kinds of personal threats. Those are definitely sources of of anger. But uh, we also get angry when we see injustices to others. I mean, well, hell, this whole summer has been this angry summer Mm -hmm. of injustices directed towards and legitimate anger, right? Mm -hmm. Seriously, you know, maybe that's where we need to look for some photos of anger. As a I did. Yeah. I did. Oh, and wow. Yeah. I, I, Mark is referring to the point that I, I try to find nice images of anger to sort of help focus me. And and it's funny, Mark, the pictures I, I used actually protest as my keyword in Google. And the funny thing is um, you find a picture of two people interacting, Right. And then in the background, there's like six people with cameras or phones hold, held up. And so I start to question the whole legitimacy of the expressions there because it feels like they're on stage, 
right? The, like, are they performing in front of everybody who has a camera up holding it up? So then I went back to the 1960s and civil. Mm -hmm. So there I found some pretty uh, awful dark images of people yelling at, you know, children, uh, children that are going yeah. to school or things like that. Yeah. But you're right. There's, there's a lot of uh, different kinds. I guess those the white supremacists felt there was injustice to them, right? That mm -hmm. they were allowing uh, segregation to, to occur. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it seems like, <clears throat> you know, what, uh, one of the sources of anger, it's, it's not only the frustration of kind of material, personal things, but threats to hierarchy or social orders. Uh, you know, when those appear out of balance, you know, and it could be us, you know, we feel like we've been uh, knocked down a peg or two and respond with anger, but, but uh, um, we have a broader concept of, you know, it goes beyond just ourselves of, you know, what's, uh, what's appropriate, what's fair, what's justice, what's unjust, 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 unjust. Tomato. Yeah. Tomato. Tomato. <laughs> But Sarah, wait, you know, that, that differentiation you just made there, it's got me thinking, because what does that imply? So we have one expression of frowning, furrowed brow, knit brow, that kind of thing that we've recognized. And then we have the expression of anger, right, where somebody's face looks quite different. But you're saying that in anger, we, if I remember what you said, we, we can overcome that problem, whereas in frowning, it is something that is beyond our control. Does that mean we already know the outcome of that situation before we have the expression of that emotion? Because you'd have to know, right, the outcome to have the right expression. Yeah. So I guess I'm thinking, actually, you know, it's funny because I was looking at your notes and you had said something, why do I get angry when I break my favorite mug? Mm -hmm. Right. And so in that sense, um, you should be sad according to this definition, right? Because you can't do anything about it once you do that. Um, and I was, <laughs> I was thinking about that. I did break a mug like about a year ago that was given to me by a student and I was really upset, but I was sad because it was like, whatever, oh, this thing. And I couldn't, couldn't do anything about it. But yeah, I mean, you know, they kind of go through in this article that um, that is really, it was a really interesting article. It was more of a review, but, you know, in terms of anger, and there seems to be a lot of like business studies done around this because <laughs> of like how to manage people, mm -hmm. right? In terms of like how you give them feedback and are you eliciting anger or sadness or, and then how do you respond? And, you know, when it's sadness, it is, it tends to elicit other people to, to, I think, as Mark has said many times, right, it pulls people into you and they help you solve this, this thing that you're not going to, you know, get through anyway. And that's why, you know, the loss could be the loss of a, you know, at the magnitude of a loss of a spouse or something like that. So, you know, they kind of went through th these different sections and kind of talked about what um, responses are in terms of interpersonal response and intrapersonal like so is there maybe some kind of effect of being angry or sad that is also beneficial to me evolutionarily not just my interactions with others and in both cases they're like not a lot of data on the intrapersonal effects but I did find it interesting that you know they talked about in terms of interpersonal sadness that people are more likely to make concessions to you if you're expressing sadness right. and you're crying well, I, and especially going back to what mark said if you have um the moral significance on on your side essentially 
there's definitely a, a physiological response difference, right? S- sadness is a, uh, uh, a lowering. Depressant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, and again, maybe this speaks to this instigation to act, right? A- anger is a high arousal experience. Our blood starts churning, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And we, we're motivated to do something. Sadness, we curl up under the covers and eat ice cream. <laughs> Well, one also, I, I found oh, I was just, one one ahead. little thing that I found super uh, disturbing. Yet uh, I understood it. <laughs> this article <laughs> was that they were referencing, and I didn't go look at the original paper, but where they showed people sad or angry politicians, and then like how did people react to them? And so the angry politicians got more positive responses from people, more likely to get their votes, and were mm-hmm. viewed as better leaders than the sad ones. And I guess maybe because it seems like they're taking action. Was there gender yeah. differences in, in and, and, expression and, and, of those? I, I didn't go and look up the paper. My guess is they were probably talking about male leaders because sure. that's mostly what we have access to. And anger is associated with change. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah. Thinking, so I like, guess, yeah, sadness you know, would be, yeah. I give up. So, like, you think about, I don't know, something like the 9-11 attacks, right? Yeah, they're, you know, everybody has some point where they're expressing sadness, but then it's always like, we're going to go get those bastards, right? Um, and I think, yeah, because it's action. We need yeah. to wreck. But at the same time, it makes you understand the interesting state of things in the United States right now that seems to be completely motivated by anger. <laughs> At least that's my perception. And interestingly, in terms of when we think of the potential menu of choices of things that we can do, when we are anger, our risk tolerance goes through the roof, right? So we're much more willing to do really risky things. Uh, and, and we get really focused on, on acting, which again, may kind of speak to uh, what's been going on hmm. this past year. Because you want the change, you think? Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Or it could You're, also be on the other side, which is I'm really angry. All these people are <laughs> asking for equal, <laughs> right? Well, they're asking for a change that I don't want. It's I, a, it's because yeah. again, I would argue that a lot of anger comes from personally, you know, th- threat to where you stand in the hierarchy, and so <laughs> being lowered from a state of privilege, <laughs> uh, or at least others rising to your level is perceived as an injustice. So let's take a minute and, and characterize the way Darwin does the, the different expressions, the expression of, of sulkiness or sadness or uh, frowning and then anger or hatred. So uh, I'm going to read, this is from chapter nine where Darwin starts talking about um, the expression of a, somebody who is uh, I'll I'll just read it and let you see. A man may be absorbed in the deepest thought, and his brow will remain smooth until he encounters some obstacle in his train of reasoning or is interrupted by some disturbance. And then a frown passes like a shadow over his brow. A half-starved man may think intently how to obtain food, but he probably will not frown unless he encounters either in thought or action some difficulty or finds the food when obtained nauseous. I have noticed that almost everyone instantly frowns if they perceive a strange or bad taste in what they are eating. So here he's talking about the the knitting of the brow 
the the, the expression of a of of a frown in that we find that disconnect between where we are thinking and where you know the state that we actually find ourselves in and and that is somewhat different like you said mark he doesn't talk about blood pressure he doesn't talk about uh heart rate or temperature or anything like that whereas in the chapter 10 he talks about hatred right and rage uh, and rage <clears throat> and either one of you want to read anything there to help us understand how darwin characterizes those expressions it's it's hard to without reading a lot right mm-hmm. pick out a particular passage because he's i think he's much more detailed but also much more varied in terms of or, or describes much more varied expressions of of anger and rage uh but yeah he, i think i mean like i kind of have just like i'll just be jumping around but i just tried to like underline the section mm-hmm. where he does so he says Rage exhibits itself in the most diversified manner. The mm-hmm. heart and circulation are always affected. The face reddens or becomes purple, and the veins in the forehead um, and neck distended. And then talks about some cases where people actually turn white. And then respiration is likewise affected. The chest heaves and the nostrils dilated, quiver. And then later, um, trembling is a frequent consequence of extreme rage. There is, in most cases, a strongly marked frown on the forehead, for this follows from the sense of anything displeasing or difficult, together with the concentration of the mind. Um, and so the, he, he the does kind of connect it. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. I, just, I, I love the description, too. That the paralyzed lips then refuse to obey the will, and the voice sticks in the throat. Sarah like, seemed me like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the other one that... that here is uh, uh, the body is commonly held erect, ready for instant action, but sometimes it is bent forward towards the offending person with the limbs more or less rigid. The mouth is generally closed with firmness, showing fixed determination, and the teeth are clenched or ground together with the fist clenched. There's a really, uh, when I was doing image searching, there was a really disturbing image of um, a Black Lives Matter protest with this um, African-American woman with her mask on. And this white guy is just leering over her with his baseball cap. And he has all of those body characteristics. Mm -hmm. He's leaning over her, his arms are clenched, and he's just yelling at her. And she's just got this expression of, it's it's beautiful. It's not defiant. It's somewhat like I would almost say it's like like sympathetic. Like what is wrong with you? Kind of expression, but it's that his body language and his posture is exactly what Darwin just described here. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can put that image on the blog post because it, it captures that. But this, have you guys ever? I know I have found myself so angry looking for something in the basement that I have clen- or or I've hit my chin on something and I'm like. Argh! I'll clinch my teeth and I'm afraid I'm going to break them because I bite down so hard. Have you ever found yourself that angry that you've done that? Or am I a freak? Because <laughs> you're both looking at me like, I don't, I think I I don't get that mad. The teeth clenching. Really? You don't? No. I don't oh, I'm a teeth clencher mm-hmm. for sure. No. I, just, I get the throat thing for sure where I just... Right. How about like the I, said, f- I tend to like have a... My reaction is to cry more than to rage. Do you clench your fists? Yeah, I think so. Earlier, I was telling you what has made me angry most frequently. So I was going to ask both of you, what what have you, as you reflect on in the last six months, what thing has often made you find yourself in an angry state of mind? 
Besides, <laughs> no, if I, I want to say, <laughs> you can keep names out of it. <laughs> I mean, it really is for me finding, looking for things. I have found the last six months, well, two things: looking for things, and then going into grocery stores and seeing people with their nose hanging out of the mask. And you're like, you, you do know your nose is connected to your lungs. I mean, and those those frustrate me and I get angry, but not as mad as myself looking for stuff that I have not put away. Well, I, I may be more like your son. Maybe I am your son, James. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, I honestly, I, I don't get angry about personal things very often. Of course, you know, I have to every now and then take a break from watching the news because I do find myself clenching my fists and, and mm -hmm. grinding my teeth uh, over the kind of injustices of the social structure, right? Bigger issues. But uh, on a personal level, it's, it's for me, it's actually fairly infrequent. If, if I were to pinpoint something, it's always almost always in the context of frustrations in a relationship. If it were to, but, but again, even still, that's not very common. Hmm. So you always know where everything is and you can always find it. I don't have that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. How about you, Sarah? You just need one box. Everything in one box. I get frustrated with people that I see being unreasonable and standing in the way of getting things done. Um, but I also think to be reflective that I have learned to not get upset by things as much. Like, I feel like it has reset my dial. The fact that I've had to deal with a lot of frustrating personal interactions in the last year and a half. And so usually I feel like I can mostly just like, I, I think maybe I do now kind of grit my teeth um, in a more subtle way, just in the, in the flash of the moment. And then I feel like I, process it later by yelling about it with my husband. <laughs> with Anthony. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, you will not believe what Wagner did today. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, wasn't there, I think uh, I was one of the famous like Aristotle era philosopher Seneca had a whole book on anger where he basically said that's like a weakness of humans. Like we should not exhibit, we should be more like Mark and Max. Anger should not be in our in who we are because it takes away from our humanity. It, it separates us from thinking about who we are. We kind of get into this like mind space of, of, uh, of behavior that is totally non-rational, non-logical, non Mark's, I wish you yeah. could see his face. He's, he's, <laughs> he's itching to say something, Mark. Am I turning purple? Are my veins bulging <laughs> a little bit? Look at the size of that the vein. Pupils getting really tiny. Uh, yeah, no, that's, I, I completely disagree with that. Um, and of course, in, in modern psychology, you know, th this is, I, you know, we talk about Seneca and the Greeks, you know, it's very uh, uh, typical of thinking of emotions as, you know, detracting from our humanity is kind of animal mm -hmm. and, and uh, impeding logic and rational decision making. We don't think that way anymore. We, we certainly recognize the utility of emotion and anger absolutely is a, uh, an emotion with utility. That's where change comes from, right? It, it, it directs behavior to correct injustices or uh, you know, things like that. So, so without that, you can imagine if, you know, the, the, there's this pattern of horrible actions, you know, within a particular culture and no one got mad about it, then they're not horrible, right? I mean, then that's just the accepted, this is what happens uh, kind of thing. So it's it's when people get angry that they they engage in actions to 
to make things better. To make change. For the most part. I mean, again, not to say that not all, I mean, emotions are never toxic. Or they certainly, you know, again, in a lot of physical aggression, uh, violence, and, and these kinds of things are sparked by, or certainly tied to uh, emotions of anger. But we could also argue, too, that a lot of those, the, the really toxic, again, like interpersonal violence uh, that's sparked by anger, that anger comes from a kind of narcissistic threat, right? So un- unrealistic or unreasonable expectation of entitlement or, or, or whatever that's been you know, uh, threatened by someone actually doing something perfectly reasonable, perhaps. So again, I'm not saying that all anger is good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not all bad. But you're saying not all of it's bad, right? Yeah. And it's a function of do you just continue to perpetuate the anger without some kind of action, right? To um, Right. You know, Mark, what you said earlier there made me think, you know, one of my favorite thought experiments to do and as Darwin talks about these expressions is what happens if you're a mutant and you never exhibit that emotion, whatever the emotion is. And we talked about the the emotion of sadness. That's a really, you know, the sweet spot of sadness where you have to exhibit some level of sadness or you look as a sociopath, right? If you don't show any kind of remorse or sadness over an event, people would think you're, un, you know, unfeeling and inhuman. But anger is one of those things where if you, if like you and my son Max, do not exhibit anger. No, I don't think anybody thinks of you as a freak of society. They don't find you un... Uh, they don't want to hang out with you, right? I would imagine. Oh, people like to hang out with me, James. Yes, I'm sure. What are you talking about? (laughs) But but that's kind of, my point being though, is that, so anger as an... consequence. Yeah. Right. There's not negative consequences of not expressing anger. I would say there was probably negative consequences of not expressing other kinds of emotions. I I think we do need to be clear on, on perhaps making a distinction between expression and experience. Because I would be willing to bet that your son Max has gotten angry. Oh yeah, more often than he's let on, at least, oh, okay. that, or okay. that you've been able to to tell. Right. Um, and so the, these physical manifestations of anger, in terms of facial expressions and body posture and all that sort of stuff, are are one thing. But you, you can still, I would argue, have the the cognitive component too, that motivational aspect of it to again right a wrong or restore an injustice or something like that, without the other manifestations of it the bulging veins and purple face. Mm-hmm. And, and that may be the difference in what you're looking at as you talk about that picture of the protest between the guy in the trucker cap and the woman behind the mask is they're both angry, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but there's a difference in the expression. And one has been socialized that it's perfectly fine for him to express it. And another has Absolutely. probably not only been socialized, but knows it's dangerous. Yes. Like, just mentally knows that. It's absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All well, right. One thing though, like just while we're on this mm-hmm. idea of like, you know, differential individual expression, um, you know, Darwin does tend to do these sometimes disturbing <laughs> cultural comparisons, which he does a little bit in this chapter. It's uh, this uh, chapter being which one? Because we're on two hatred since we've been in anger. More okay, yep. Yeah, back to hatred. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a little. He talks about small differences, like do you bare your teeth or not when you're clenching your jaw. But I was, I was thinking, like this seems like. And Mark, maybe you hopefully know more about this. That I would think anger, especially, would be culturally modulated a lot in terms of what you're allowed to express. And you know, I guess my 
my gut reaction is that a lot of Eastern cultures don't really have super expressive anger. I'm thinking of, you know, Japanese culture and stuff like that. Or am I totally out? Yeah, for sure. And uh, again, this goes back to some of Ekman's stuff about display rules, right? That these oftentimes are very culturally bound, even though there are some kind of universal threads there for sure. And and for the most part in, in Eastern cultures, the display rules generally really narrow band. Yeah. Limit the expression themselves. But I, I don't know, although actually Ekman does, I think he mentions in one of his footnotes here that, that perhaps there is this difference. If we look, you know, one of the things that uh, Darwin talks about is the difference in the mouth, right? When we're experiencing right. anger, whether it's clenched lips, Right or that kind of that the grin or grimace, perhaps a bared teeth kind of thing, and that you know in in cultures where it's a bit more acceptable for that anger to result in physical attack, that's where you see bared teeth, right? That's yeah. that uh, versus Western. I'm using air quotes here. Civilized <laughs> cultures, right, yes. uh, where that's less likely to happen, and that's where you get the clenched. Uh, the the uh, the 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 line right the yeah. tight lipped. As you were talking about that, I was thinking, Sarah, about the willingness of individuals to exhibit, to express anger facially, physically, more willing in in crowds, like during protests. Going back to your point, Mark, than individually, as a person walking down the street. I'm not saying, I mean, not, I mean, in general, I find when you're in groups of people, you find a lot more of those facial expressions being exhibited than you would by an individual walking, protesting in the corner of a, why do you think that is? Or am what? I wrong in, in, in seeing that? Maybe I'm, maybe my. No, I, uh, and again, this is just speculating here, but I, I would imagine that particularly for something like anger, it's much safer to express your anger in a crowd of people who are experiencing anger for the exact same reason. If it's just you, right? We know that, you know, one, one of the, in, in fact, actually, I think Darwin mentions this. One of the reasons or, or one of the causes of anger is when others express anger towards us. Right, so we respond to anger with anger, and if it's just you <laughs> directing anger at the crowd, you may be screwed, right? If, if the crowd responds <laughs> to you with anger, but if if you're part of the crowd, uh, there you go, right? Now you got some you got some backup. Hmm. And so, and again, that may you know, and I would argue too that perhaps it intensifies the experience as well, right? The you know we've seen this certainly with joy, right? When our joy is shared, our joy is enhanced, uh, and I think. Perhaps the same is true for anger. When our anger is shared, our anger is enhanced. Hmm. So it is kind of contagion then, just in a different way than we first started talking about. Because I think we were thinking about it more on the one-on-one reaction, which mm-hmm. there is some level. But, I, you know, it seems like, yeah, if you have a group of people, or, you know, it's an emergent property almost, right, at a certain right. point. Or perhaps more of a positive feedback loop, because it's not like right. you're feeling anger because everybody else is feeling right. anger. You're all feeling anger for the same reason, but it just, yes, it's an echo chamber of yeah. anger. And also, as you said before, uh, your thresholds for certain kinds of behaviors gets lowered when you're angry. And so you're more likely to then express that anger. And then it gets amplified by being with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I think we should take a break. And when we come back, 
I'd like to talk about both, ex- uh, we kind of forgot about frowning and, and that expression, but I'd like to come back to that and talk about how quick humans res- uh, recognize those kinds of expressions in other humans. Mm-hmm. The, the expression of anger or expression of happiness or the expression of sadness. And what is the evolutionary value in, in those differences in response? Yeah. You're listening to Discovering Darwin. to Discovering Darwin. Today we're talking about hatred, anger, sulkiness, uh, other stuff, uh, <laughs> devotion. Uh, ill temper, like, determination. So, ill temper, determination, You're... reflection, meditation. There we go. <laughs> um, and uh, right now we're going to try to uh, pivot a little bit and really talk about how these signals are expressed and received by that, by individuals. So I think um, Mark was going to tell us a little bit about a study that he had looked at. Oh, are we jumping right in? I don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> actually, before we jump right in, right? So one of the things I think is interesting about the tone of the book, if we could just sort of meta- analyze this book. Uh, this chapter, and particularly ch- uh, the anger chapter, is where Darwin really starts to tie humans to non other non-human animals, right? And so he really tries to make the argument that many of these expressions, particularly anger, the sneering, the showing of the canines, the, you know, the, that when you're really angry and you, your lips curl up and you show your teeth. He spends a lot of time there talking about these are expressions you also see in other non-human animals, not just primates, dogs snarling their teeth, uh, cats when, they, when they're frustrated. So I thought it was interesting to me, obviously this is late in his publications, as we pointed out, it's um, way past Origin of Species and, and just after Descent of Man. So he's fairly confident in his argument that humans are just an evolved animal. Uh, but this text is a different kind of audience, but he does spend some time making that argument that even degraded English women, whilst quarreling violently in the streets, exhibit behaviors <laughs> that are reminiscent of apes angry in the zoo, which I thought was um, interesting. Did you guys also pick that up, that, that, that he was trying to connect humans to non-human animals in, this chap- in, in either of these chapters? I know I just threw a curveball at you. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I agree that yeah, definitely much more so in the hatred and anger chapter than in the sulkiness and ill-temperedness. Um, and yeah, I love the picture. Um, the pictures in this chapter were I don't know interesting. I guess the, the anger chapter. Yeah. Yeah. The there's uh, two men, um, which I'm pretty sure these are 
what do I want to say, staged yeah. play acting. Um, and, you know, I looked at one where the man has one arm raised across his tr- chest. Mm-hmm. And that one I saw as being indignant, actually, personally. And then there's another one with a man with some wild hair and beard with both arms straight at his sides, but out a little bit. But then there's also one that I think getting his to James, hands are clenched too, right? His right, fists are yeah. clenched. Getting to James, kind of what you were saying about, you know, this is a display trait that we see in animals too, is this woman picture of this woman sneering where she's just raising one corner of her lip to expose I, the canine. I, I love this picture so much. Yeah, <laughs> I want to I want to get to know this woman. <laughs> <laughs> she's the wife of the photographer. I know, I know. Like she looks like she could tell some stories. <laughs> but she definitely got that sneer, right? The, yeah. the, right. the, the sneer. Well, and, and he points out linguistically, sneer, snarl, really the yeah. same word, right? So, and again, I think that's this, it, certainly explicit connection to other animal species. I put a bunch of pictures in the folder of various animals sn- sneering, snarling right dogs obviously come to mind but things like raccoons opossums even uh rodents marmosets which are not a rodent they're a primate or a primitive primate but within all the primate lineages you see that same kind of snarl of bearing of the canine teeth as a very uh basic kind of expression i i would argue you pretty much see it in any animal that has lips right (laughs) I'm trying to imagine you know, dog, a manatee snarling. Dogs and cats. Well, okay, well, but uh, you know, not things with beaks or you know, fish with very rigid mouths or whatever. But um, but yeah, I would think any any mammal that I can picture. Maybe you know, not, well, again, manatees. Well, uh, dolphins don't. I don't know. You know, it's funny that you say that. So else? one of the arguments that Darwin makes is the reason the snarl is exhibited that lifting of the lips and expressing, exhibiting the teeth is a warning that a bite is about to occur, mm-hmm. right? And Mark, when you said you don't see it with animals with beaks, but I do, when I worked in the zoo and some of those birds were mad, their beaks would open up. They would, ah. they, there was a sense that they were, and, and same thing with some reptiles, right? The mouths, well, that, would, the gaps, the gape would open up. Very true. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking snakes, right? Yeah. If they're yeah. threatened, they'll... Those angry turtles. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> which, would, which is a really cool idea that, that there is such a universal, uh, you know, is it a, a um, Sarah, going back to evolution, is this like a Mullerian or a Batesian mimicry here? Is it, did we all sort of evolve the same signal because it has information or is it because we all ancestrally have that, you know, inherited that trait of, of mm-hmm. snarling? Well, because, yeah, it, it is a preparation for attack. Right? Mm-hmm. Even when it's not. Right, yeah. Yeah, so why? So, well, yeah, because it's also to avoid, right, possible conflict, because it's to say, like, oh, I will bite you. <laughs> step off. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes back to my point about being angry and clenching your teeth, right? That is a bite. That is an internal bite. It's not biting somebody, but you're, like, releasing that anger in a bite. I mean, I, I know I have been that mad and frustrated that I have felt my teeth clenched strong enough. So the bite is a weird kind of uh, response to a, a frustrated anger um, condition. I know people do bite. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> when they're Mike Tyson, right? 
bit off some someone guy's ear. Yeah, just Children, in general, right? Yeah. They bite a lot. Oh yeah, that's true. That's some true. of them are biters. <laughs> so if we're going to talk about um, these facial expressions, which are so sort of we we pointed out that the frown, which is very distinctive, but context quite variable, um, versus anger, which um, seems to have a very narrow range of context, right? Mark, what is, the, what is the argument for our sensitivity, if you will, our visual acuity toward these kinds of facial expressions? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, in terms of like our, the, the sort of the speed with which we recognize that emotion in others. Because if we're going to talk about emotions and particularly expressive aspects of emotions as being communicative, you know, as one of its core aspects, then there's, there's something to that. Like, like, you know, how effective is that? And are some more important or more easily communicated than others? And so, and that's something that's been tested for a while, right? Among psychologists, particularly those that are focused on emotions, but in the perceptual aspect of it, the the reception of, and perception of, of emotions in others. And so, you know, most of the studies that have been done basically are like, you know, presenting participants with a sea of faces with one particular emotional expression and seeing how quickly they can identify the one person in the crowd that's expressing a different emotion. And most of the, well, the, the, the research had been kind of hit and miss. There was a lot of controversy. There, actually, I would argue there still is a bit of controversy here, but because there's, you know, we can argue about everything. Is that job security? Controversy yeah, is a code exactly. word for job yeah. security. <laughs> yeah. Publication security. Yeah. And so so there have been sort of two kind of categories of of research findings. One suggesting that we're much quicker and more, and we can more easily identify happy faces in a crowd of neutral or non-happy faces. Uh, and others that suggested we can identify angry faces uh, in a crowd of non-angry or neutral faces. Uh, and and these, these effects were are, have been called the anger superiority effect or the happiness superiority effect, right? Which is more superior in terms of its identifiability. But uh, I, I, I uncovered as we're again kind of doing a little background research for this particular this particular episode, Ketcherini and Kotick uh, in 2013 did a study where they they manipulate something that's I think particularly interesting and it, it really speaks to kind of a methodological thing, but also speaks to the practicality of uh, of, of that the superiority of one of these effects, perhaps. Um, and so they, in essence, sort of pitted this happiness superiority effect versus the uh, anger superiority effect uh, against each other, but, but varied the circumstance just a little bit. And, and I think they believe they've kind of answered the question as to which actually is the superior effect. And, and basically, they did the same kind of thing, right? They presented participants with a sea of faces, uh, all expressing a particular emotion and one experiencing a, a different emotion and basically timed how long it took them to identify the different emotion. Uh, and again, this is kind of the standard test of you know, if you can identify the happy one quicker, that suggests that we're more kind of programmed to zone in on happy faces, uh, or we, we, we perceive that quicker, uh, or if it's the angry face. Anyway, but the other thing that they manipulated, which I thought was kind of interesting, is, um, and, and it's sort of a challenge to the, the, the paradigm, was 
they did it in still images versus moving images. So they talked about static versus dynamic faces. And it turns out they, I think, show fairly convincingly that in more realistic situations where faces are moving, right? And as we would normally experience it, right? You know, our, our, our experience of the world isn't a photograph. It's a movie. Yeah, yeah it's not a mug, um, bunch of mug shots that you're trying to pick right, out right. from the yeah. crowd. Yeah. And that consistently over a, a, a few different experiments and certainly lots and lots of participants, we, we pick out angry faces out of a crowd much quicker. Uh, than we do, significantly quicker than we do happy faces. So, and so what this suggests is that that certainly we are hardwired to pick out differences, right? Someone experiencing something different from the, or just any, any kind of difference, right? We're, 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 our brains are, are pattern recognition machines, but we're quicker when that thing that deviates from the pattern, right? In this case is an expression of anger, and I think we can make an evolutionary argument for that, right? In terms of what's what's more beneficial for us in terms of <laughs> fundamental survival is identifying the possible threat versus the person that will party with us. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked about this experiment, I mean, it's one of these things where you realize um, our understanding of the world becomes better as technology becomes better, right? So one of the things that they were able to do is they took a stock photo of a woman whose facial expression has been clearly identified, I guess, sort of like the Ekman's photos of peoples with known yeah, facial showed expressions. It to, showed it to a bunch of college students ahead of time. It's yeah. It sounded that they all agreed. Yeah. So they had these uh, three faces. There was the neutral face, the uh, angry face, and this happy face of this woman. But what they did then is they took those faces, Mark, and I thought right. it was cool, is they, they, gen they took away gender, right? They took mm -hmm. away the hair almost looks like a mannequin head with right. bald head. So you could think it's a male because it's a bald head, but it's got certain feminine. They used a female face, mm -hmm. remove the hair like a mannequin head. And then they used a computer program to do transitions between each of the expressions. So right. they had that nice gradation between the neutral, or I guess the happy to neutral to anger face. So they ended up with a range of expressions that were sort of generic which right. I thought was really cool. So right, and you could remove that sort of gender bias that you might have, and and they eliminated it as a confound, you know, different features of the face, right? So so you know, it, it may just be that one has particularly prominent eyebrows, so we mm -hmm. just zone in on that one because th that's the thing is that to see a face is you, you're, uh, 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 it's very important uh, point that you made that are all the same face effectively. Mm -hmm. And they put a, so a sea of face here was nine faces of, of mm -hmm. nine faces. Maybe one of them will be angry and the rest of them might be all, all neutral or all happy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, they, and they do a nice job of showing that. Yeah. In that, in that experiment, like you said, it, they argue that we are more sensitive to an angry face in the crowd than right. a happy face. And, and Mark, so... I know I don't know a lot about neurobiology, but there's this. My sense is our visual cortex sees patterns. Mm -hmm. It goes way back. I hate to say, like the lizard brain, right? It goes back to a part of the brain that processes it and makes a decision about it, and then it gets bumped forward to the the you know the cortex. prefrontal cortex that makes sense right. of it after the fact, right? After you've already made a decision, is that right. correct? Yeah, kind of, you know, and, and our, our right hemisphere is largely 
dominant in terms of our, our thing is of, of uh, recognizing faces, recognizing expressions. Uh, and it's the, the, the right hemisphere. I, I don't want to. Didn't they even say the right hemisphere like sen- was sensitive to anger and the mm-hmm. left hemisphere was sensitive to happiness? Do I recall? Well, that? Uh, it's a little bit different uh, in terms of the prefrontal cortex. There's um, our left prefrontal cortex is particularly sensitive to rewards and and positive stuff, and the le- the right hemisphere, right prefrontal cortex, is sensitive to punishments and threats. Hmm. If that if that and and, and they're you know and for for most folks they they operate pretty evenly. Right. There are some individual differences. We call it the, the, the uh, what's the measure? Oh, the BIS-BAS, the Behavioral Inhibition and Behavioral Activation System. Right. So the, uh, the, the right hemisphere is behavioral inhibition, and it, that keeps us away from threats. Uh, the behavioral activation system is largely left prefrontal cortex, and that, that pushes us out there right, to approach reward. What, pardon? That's the hedonistic kind of Introvert, response. extrovert? You know, uh, gosh, boy, I'm he trying to remember it. now. I, th- th- there are some there are some personality correlates in terms of of a bit of an imbalance between inhibition and approach systems. I can't, I can't remember if ex- I, th- I think extroversion introversion is one that people with with um, oh I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to describe this wrong. I'm f- I'm sure. <laughs> And you'll never correct it for me, and I'll not be able to fix it in the blog. Post. Yeah, <laughs> so let's just pretend this didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> no, um, but yeah, there there are certainly some personality correlates uh, to to an imbalance of of sensitivity of the inhibition versus activation system. I've gotten us off track. I feel. No, I think what you're saying is that we we have evolved a sensitivity to certain signals. And we're mm-hmm. very sensitive to anybody in the crowd that has anger on their face versus. We're more sensitive because I think that's kind of an important thing. We're still sensitive to happy faces, right? We, we can, we can pick those out of the crowd We're it's just that we're quicker. We're, we're more attuned to uh, uh, angry faces. And, and again, I think there's a good evolutionary argument for that. And that th- those represent threats, right? And threats, potentially threats to the survival. And but the happy faces represent an opportunity for growth, mm-hmm. right? Expansion and connection, and uh, again, beneficial things, but not def- defensive things. This reminds me of um, studies done with the the difference between, say, Eastern and Western people who look at a fish tank and recognize different elements of the fish tank. I remember in senior seminar, Sarah, years ago, a student brought a paper that we read that showed if you give it the sort of uh, classic image of a fish tank with corals and crabs and small little invertebrates around there and these fish, little schools of fish and big fish, and you show that same image to Americans versus Japanese people, the difference in what they recognize and remember is quite different. The, the Americans can qu- quickly uh, recollect the biggest fish in the tank and that sort of thing. Whereas the uh, Japanese people didn't notice the big fish at all. They noticed the corals and the crabs and the smaller elements of it. So, Mark, I'm wondering, this would be a really cool study. to. to this was done with Americans, right, I think. Yes. Uh, oh, wait. Or no, no Italy. Italians, yeah. Italians, but, but Westerners. Right, very right. much Westerners. Yeah. And I, I'm curious, I wonder if you, th- do you think it's possible that an Eastern 
or other cultural, because I know you've talked about that before, do you think, Boy. would there be a difference in response in, 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 in sensitivity of those two behaviors? Boy, that's a good question. Um, because I was shocked by recognizing, from that study showing that um, based on their cultural uh, perspective, the visual acuity and what you see in a scene is quite different between uh, Americans and Japanese of the same scene and what they actually remember and took focus of. Right. Well, so it may be that there's a difference between, uh, uh, again, Westerners or those from individualistic cultures versus collectivist cultures, Mm -hmm. Eastern folks, in terms of their recollection of what's going on with the crowd versus the, so, so it it may be that everybody's quicker to identify the angry face over the rest of the group. And, but, but that Easterners might be better able to perhaps recall that the other faces were neutral or happy. Perhaps. Interesting. Yeah. Cause they didn't ask what they thought the sea of faces were. No, they didn't. They didn't. (laughs) Yeah. I like that study because it supports my evolutionary bias towards. <laughs> if we're gonna, it's also important having not read this particular paper though, as I'm looking at the figures to point out the fact that what we're talking about, and this goes back to what Mark was saying, that you know we can recognize happy faces really quickly too, is that there's differences of like hundreds of milliseconds mm-hmm. is what's distinguishing this. So mm-hmm. it's still like yeah, a sub-second recognition for it's, it's, no matter what we're talking about. Right. It's a statistically significant difference. Yeah. Yeah. But the effect uh, size is quite a... tiny. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it's impressive that it's consistent. Sure. Yeah. 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 But so, I, think, I guess what I'm arguing is that we're just really good at reading expressions, which is also a, right? That should also be an evolutionary adaptation, right? Because you should be getting that information no matter what the ex- expressed. Emotions. And, and it, it makes sense because why express if it's if not for communication? Well, how why why do you frown, Mark, when you're by yourself wondering where your car keys are before you leave for work? Okay, well, I mean, certainly I do frown when I'm looking for my car keys, but right? um, I mean, my point being that the frowning that kind of expressions often goes back to Sarah's point that we get that that expression of con, of uh, of being confounded, right? You're right. not getting what you want. Right. But, but, but just because the frown doesn't benefit me in that moment, it's, it still benefits me perhaps when I'm with people. I mean, then it does benefit me. Because yeah, they would like... When there aren't people present is just a byproduct of selection right. for expression. Because right? when I'm with other people, they'll help me find my car keys. <laughs> oh. Okay. But I think, yeah, it's, that is that issue when we were, you know, as we're talking about the frown of the fact that it can mean many different things, right? That it, it just, um, so our first time through trying to record this, I did get us on a little, you know, I got really obsessed about the brow. But one thing we talked about is that it's often the case where you're confronted with something maybe a little unexpected, right? That it, or it's, it's, mm-hmm right jumping in your train of thought or 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 whatever Um, and so yeah if i'm in the presence of other people and i'm confused then people can help me that's a you know but if i'm alone i'm still going to express that confusion (laughs) i'm often confused (laughs) and also because that's it doesn't cost a lot 
you know, you know, one of the things that I thought was very interesting in the uh, in the expression of anger was even Darwin uh, noted that people with heart conditions can suffer heart attacks during mm -hmm. that expression of anger, right? The blood pressure picks up, they clench their fists, they get really mad. And if you look now, going back to Sarah's point, if you look at modern literature about anger, there's, to me it falls in two categories. One that you pointed out, Sarah, office management and how to deal with employees. And then the other is uh, health, healthcare and the prevalence of heart attacks and or stimulating when people are angry, they end up having a, uh, you know, heart attacks. And, and I would even extend this to sort of mental health. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, mental health practice is anger management because that anger interferes with our ability to maintain social relationships too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the, yeah, the cost of yeah. expressing anger is much higher than the cost of expressing uh, frowning, like disappointment, whatever you want to call that, sadness. Because, you know, you don't have the risk of a heart attack if you frown because you're, you can't find your car keys or the ice cream is down to one tablespoon and you're... So one of the things that... Uh, there was another study done by Hintz. Yeah. So uh, this study took the approach of looking at um, frowning. So the title of the paper, I love this, the title of the paper pretty much gives you the summary of the results. Smile and half... The world smiles at, with you. Frown, and you frown alone. So um, they did a couple of studies, but basically they just sent college students out in the mall or in some public space with two students, a pair of students. One was the observer, and the other one was the actor. And the actor, either male or female, would either give a neutral face, a frown face, or a smile face, and then they would respond. They would watch the response of the other and these random people who would walk by. One of the things they found: if you frown, you do not stimulate frowning in other people. So, if a if um, a female frowns at a female, only five point seven percent of the females responded with a frown. If a male frowns at a female, only two point nine percent responded. And the females respond to the frown, and Interesting. If if the if the respondent was a male, if a female frowns at him, so the female is the uh, sort of the agitator, if you will, or the uh, the actor. If she frowns at a guy, none of the males frown back. So females to females, there's some little bit of reaction, but contagion. But if you if a female frowns at a random male, he does not respond. And if a male frowns at a random male. You get a little bit, 1.3% of the males, um, one out of 75 or so, 80, one out of 80 frowned back. So again, the frowns do not trigger a uh, concordant kind of uh, response in another individual, whereas a smile, quite different. So if uh, a female smiles at another female, she gets about 26% of those females respond with a smile, and about the same with males, 20%. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> however, if it's a female smiling at a male, again, 22% of those random males will smile back at the female. But if it's a male smiling at a random male, 5%. <laughs> so the, those uh, target males do not appreciate some random guy smiling at them. So there's no contagion male to male, but there is somewhat contagion female to female and female to male, which is kind of interesting that these 
these uh, frowning behaviors um, as a signal, you know, what does it mean, Mark, for somebody to frown back to, at you? If you frown at somebody and you frown and they frown back at you, is that is that empathy? Is that them uh, trying to exhibit some sort of uh, I know where you are kind of thing? Well, a- absent any other aspect of context, right? Mm-hmm. You've shared experience or something like that for, you know, a, a stranger to express towards directly right. towards you you're walking the mall and you see yeah. a person and they just look at you eye to eye eye contact right. and they frown and they express yeah or or, or smiling right so they're right. either expressing joy in your direction or potentially anger or hostility in your direction wait is the do you think the frown is is anger well hostility they, they uh yeah, or or dissatisfaction, something like that. I think the, the instructions they were given in terms of because I, I was kind of interested in Darwin certainly talks about is that the frown is uh, a manifestation of you know dissatisfaction, but also concentration, right? That uh, so you know what were they confederates in this particular instance instructed to do and it says imagine you're with a close friend now imagine that something very bad happened to that friend let your feelings be expressed through your facial expression right so yeah so i don't know if it's anger or although again it's it's it doesn't matter i mean it's all in the person's head so what you know mm-hmm. the, the confederate said what what they're expressing is a negative emotion um confederate being the technical term for the actor right the, the right person right Right. The old term we used was stooge. I kind of like that better. <laughs> I know. Now that we're trying to wash ourselves from all these confederates, I kind of like yeah. that too. That's funny. Stooge. Yeah. Stooge. You mo Larry or shemp. <laughs> Never curly? <laughs> oh, curly's all right. <laughs> As a child, I appreciated curly. As an adult, it's shemp. <laughs> um, you have kind of forgotten your question, James. That's no, I think right. what we're trying to we're trying to make sense of this as a as a signal, right? Go ahead, Sarah. Right. I think it's really the question. I mean, I think James is focusing in on the gender differences, but I think it's really mm-hmm. more just so that nobody respond. Like it's very limited that anybody responds to a frown with a frown. And so, why is that? Why do we reflect back happiness but not a frown? Because if you perceive it as anger, then it's a it's a challenge. Gotcha. Right. And so, are you willing to meet that challenge in this context, in this place? So, do you think it's because, as we've discussed, that a frown can mean so many things that you don't really know how to respond to it? Whereas a smile is c- mm. clearly joy. We know what that means, right? And so, I don't know what it means when James is frowning at me. So, I'm just gonna like not respond. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. Because uh, the eyebrows are telling me that. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the cost is greater for you to respond right. to the frown uh, than it is. Because you know, I'm possible... not sure what signal I'm receiving. Right, right. right. And so the fact that I'd, I'm not sure what signal I'm receiving, it would be advantageous for me to just be neutral. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other thing here too, and this came out in one of the books I was, not books, articles I was reading, you know, a lot of these studies are done in like in this sense where you have zero connection, but like you have the greater response when you have some kind of connection to that person. And so, you know, I have to, in some ways think, well, what is, you know, your, your bandwidth is already going to be low because I don't have a relationship with this person. Yeah. 
particularly in a mall or a right. you know, it's like really weird kind of place. Uh, this is a, I'm going to just read to you guys this uh, from the from the paper because I find it crazy. But uh, I, I will read how they describe the results of this post. Thus, females might be more likely to respond to females with a smile than males to smile at males. Therefore, an interaction might arise wherein females would smile at males and females equally often, and that males would smile at females as often as male females smile at males, but that males would smile less often at males than at females. Oh, I can't. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. But I love this because you're like, I'm a Martian, I've come to your planet. <laughs> And we read this, we're like, okay, if I parse it slowly, it makes complete sense. Females smile both at males and females equally. And males would smile at females more than they would smile, than females smile at males. But that males would not smile at other males. But, but. Right. Well, and, and I don't want to get all evolutionary psych on us. Oh, please do. You know, I love that stuff. No, yeah. But, but of course, I mean, in terms of, of you know, uh, mate selection and then, then of course, then that, that would make sense. Right. So that a smile coming from, for a male, uh, from a female is potentially perceived as an overture. Right. Uh, but not from a male. Right. So, so the, the uh, to reciprocate that smile from a female, but not a male represents an evolutionary advantage to, potentially pass on your genes. So Does that's that why sense? females just look at the ground when they walk down the streets yeah. in New York City. <laughs> right. But, but but also I mean from from for the for the males, why the males would respond to female smiles with smiles, but not male smiles. It right. doesn't explain why females respond to female right. smiles and male smiles equally. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It doesn't. Sarah, as a female, explain to us. <laughs> Because well, we are socially constrained to to do that, <laughs> right? I, I think it, you 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 again from an evolutionary psych perspective, you could argue that females failing to return the the male smile is potentially perceived as dangerous. Yeah. In fact, there was the studies on anger showed that males responded most anger toward females. Do you remember that? I don't know if you saw that in the, in the paper that said that when females um, do not respond to them, that that makes them more angry than anything else, which if you look at the internet and watch mm. guys respond to females, if they don't ret- you know, tweet back to them or respond to them, they get super angry. Right. It's just weird. And um, so, all right. So we, what have we established? We have established smiling is somewhat contagion, but not we're not as sensitive to that in the crowd as uh, people who look angry. But Go ahead, that, Mark. But that that the, yeah, again, I think as Sarah was about to point out that 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 difference is a marginal difference at best. Marginal. Right? It's statistically significant, but we're talking differences in fractions of a second. Uh, we're actually we're talking about two hundred milliseconds. Yeah. No, not even that. Hundred milliseconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're right. Not but I do difference. think, like, just to kind of address, like, kind of where we started and where we ended up is yes. that we kind of we started with thinking about contagion, and um, I think maybe we've nuanced it a little bit to the fact that 
it's not individual to individual contagion that I see Mark frowning and I frown in, in response in empathy, but that these emotions that we've talked about today can have this positive feedback, like in the case of anger, that if we both feel anger about the same thing, Mark expressing anger makes me express it more, which makes James pick up on it. And we have this emergent, <laughs> emergent crowd level uh, emotion being expressed. And what triggers anger ranges both from a personal affront, but also our sense of what others should get. So if we get, we can actually get angry about what happens to a third party. Right, right. And, it and taps I, into our sense of justice, yeah. fairness. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, chapter nine, you know, maybe why going through this the second time worked out well is that, I, I don't know what you think, Mark, but chapter nine almost feels, I guess there is emotion in the sense of like the consternation, but like it was more about this expression that Darwin's like, lot of, like here's an expression that results from a lot of different things. And so I think that was kind of when we did it the first time, it was kind of harder to get our hands around it because right. it wasn't this like, this is an emotion and this is its expression. Whereas with anger, it was a lot easier for us because it was like one-to-one. -one. Right. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that's, so Paul Rosen, who we'll talk about next time we do this too, because he's done a lot of really fantastic research on disgust. Basically, in terms of him kind of thinking about how we think about emotion has, I think, been an important, well, I say we, psychologists, uh, has been an important critic in terms of like, it's perhaps a mistake to just partition it off just entirely in terms of affect that we we absolutely have to consider cognition and stuff like that as well. And so what that introduces is, and I think that's what one of the things that Darwin was perhaps alluding to in this text is that that frown expression comes not just from sadness and sulkiness, but also concentration mm -hmm. or confusion, which in terms of you know, basic emotional experiences may not necessarily fit the bill always a basic emotion, but arguably, I, I think we can make a case are, you know, th these real experiences for which there are uh, these very distinct facial expressions. Well, I, I say distinct, but they, again, you know, has a lot in common, but, but, but that's what Darwin's getting at with, you know, with a frown uh, in terms of concentration, which signals I, I need to be left in peace for a moment versus the frown of sadness, perhaps, which invites people into help resolve whatever, you know, is the source of my sadness. The signal of my frustration, like you said, Sarah, and whether that frustration of the condition is beyond my control, which is then, with, I guess, goes to, to depression versus just frustration. And hopefully someone will help me find my keys <laughs> or get me some new ice cream. All right. So I think we've done well on this. Um, uh, I appreciate you all for sticking with us as we sort of fumble through both of these chapters. Um, next episode, Mark, is finally, you're like, this is what you signed me up for, right? Chapter 10. Uh, oh, no, sorry, chapter 11. Disdain, contempt, disgust, guilt, pride, etc. Oh, I hate etc. That just drives me crazy. Helplessness, patience, affirmation, and negation. Well, I'm just, I'm fascinated by disgust. I, there, I think, I, I, of course, I haven't read the chapter yet because, you know, 
Yeah, right. That's how I roll. That's how um, we all roll. (laughs) I'm I'm looking forward to it uh, because I just, uh, uh, for years, I've been fascinated by the motion disgust. This, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I've been been tempted to teach a a May term class just on disgust. Give me an excuse to kind of dive into that literature because it's. It's so weird. You guys could it's, do so much fun experiments too. Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so you had mentioned um, chapter lengths. So mm-hmm. the chapter 10 was very brief. It was a very short chapter on uh, hatred and anger. Um, and chapter nine was a little bit longer, but not that bad. So this chapter I think is, is as long as those two chapters combined. Yeah, so combined, there's a lot of meat yeah. on the bones here. And we will look forward to exploring this, especially the Excedra. Well, yeah, actually, <laughs> if you look at the emotions or, or whatever that he's listed in this chapter, I mean, they really run a gamut. Disdain, contempt, short, disgust, guilt, pride. Pride. Helplessness. Affirmation. Negation. Negation. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, when we get done with this, I do want to talk about the structure of yeah, the buckets. How, the, how he decided to put this stuff together and the order. Yeah. You know, it seems to me, of course, that it's all organized around whatever particular facial feature, yeah. frown, furrowed brow, mm. crying, yeah. that he's just like, okay, this is the thing. The, yeah. So the physical manifestation becomes the anchor by which then yeah. he puts everything in. All right. Like that it. sounds good. All right. <laughs> Gentle listener, I appreciate you sticking with us. And we look forward to, we'll get back Metamucil. Metamucil. You know, <laughs> we'll get regular. <laughs> we'll be back on target uh, next month. But thank you again. Uh, if you do need a love potion, I can help you out. So contact me. <laughs> <laughs> James has connections now. I have connections now. <laughs> like that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to Discovering Darwin. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. (laughs) Or day. Or day. Or morning. (laughs) Well, you were drinking, so it's always better, Sarah, when you're drinking. I I always feel a little loose towards the end. Like, I'd start a sentence and, like, inside I'm going, can I finish this? Can Can I finish this sentence?